Good morning. My name is Ben. I'm on staff here at Timberline Baptist Church, and I also serve as one of the elders. I have the honor of bringing you the word this morning, and it's going to be a little bit shorter than what you're probably accustomed to from um, our preaching staff here at Timberline. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, first reason is this is actually my first time preaching to just a camera. And so with all the awkwardness involved in that, I've been told shorter is better. Uh, but the second reason is I don't have the stamina for a 40 or 45 minute sermon right now. Uh, many of you know that I received a medical diagnosis in mid-April, uh, but what most of you probably don't know is that in the months leading up to that, I started losing my eyesight. Um, after a routine eye exam in February, shortly after that I noticed my vision was becoming blurry and it progressively got worse and worse and worse up until uh, the first part of April, I noticed I could no longer drive safely. And eventually my vision would not extend past the end of my arm. And, and this was extremely troubling, very panic-inducing and, and worrying. And, and, I, and I was wondering, is this, is this permanent? Is, is it going to get worse? Am I going to completely lose my vision? And so I got medical testing done, uh, tested my blood and, and other things, and then I got the phone call from my doctor's office, diabetes. Now, I've, I've struggled with this diagnosis. It's, it's been hard, and I, and I will freely admit to you there have been times where I haven't handled it well, and sometimes I still don't. But my prayer was consistent from the get-go. I, I cried out to God, and I asked Him for mercy. God, please preserve my eyesight. Please let me still see. So my question to you right now is, who do you turn to when your world is falling apart? Who do you cry out to for salvation, for restoration? I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. Which brings us to our text today. I'll freely admit to you, up until about two months ago, I wasn't terribly familiar with Psalm 116. But in the last couple months, it has brought me great comfort because of the truth in that text. And my desire, my hope for you today is that you too would draw truth and comfort from God's Word, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of what you're going through right now, that you would take comfort in this passage because in this passage we will see that there is no one like our God in the midst of quarantine in the midst of illness in the midst of heartache and trouble and, and natural disasters there is no one like our God so our text again is Psalm 116 and I'm gonna read that right now Psalm 116 I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. 
For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows. Excuse me. <clears throat> I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your word would come to life in our hearts and minds, that you would illuminate your greatness, that you would show us the truth in this text, that you would set aside all distractions, that we would see your holiness and your goodness, and that we would find comfort in who you are, that we would see that there is no one else like you. Father, may this text bring us encouragement. May it help us to properly see you and worship you as you deserve. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I want to give a, a little bit of context uh, before we start digging into the meat of this text. Uh, the, the 150 psalms recorded in the Bible comprised ancient in Israel's hymnal, their, their worship guide, which included songs of, of praise, of lament, and, and ascension. We don't know the date or author of this particular psalm, but it's interesting to note that the prophet Jonah, while he's praying inside the belly of the fish, the vows that he make are extremely similar to the ending of this psalm, which kind of shows us that it's possible that Psalm 116 might have inspired Jonah's prayer. We also know that the Apostle Paul directly quotes from this psalm in 2 Corinthians 4.13. So we rightly know this song is part of the biblical canon. Only two psalms begin with the phrase, I love the Lord, which is pretty cool. This is an intensely personal psalm of thanksgiving for salvation, most likely from a physical death, an illness of some sort. But the application extends to a spiritual salvation as well, and we'll get to that later on in the message. These songs sung by ancient Israel served a purpose, which was to point them to proper worship of God, to a right understanding of who God is and how we then are to respond as we, as we express our faith and our joy and our hope and our sadness to this God who alone brings salvation. So how does this psalm help us rightly and accurately worship God? I'm going to give two reasons in our text for, for how this, this passage points us to rightly understanding who God is. 
followed by three ways we then should respond. First, the psalmist wants his audience to worship God because our God is near. How does, we, how, how does he know this? He says so in verse 1. He says, God has heard my voice and my plea for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Now, there is nothing passive about God's attention. The verbiage here denotes active listening instead of God accidentally hearing the pleas from far away. I'm reminded of Elijah's encounter with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, recorded in 1 Kings 18. Awesome story. Elijah tells the, rebel the rebellious Israelites in verse 21, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Then in verse 25, he tells the followers of Baal to prepare a bull sacrifice and to call upon Baal to provide the fire for that offering. So these, 400 and, uh, these 450 prophets um, construct their altar, they lay the sacrifice, and from morning until noon, they're crying out to Baal to provide the fire. And then around noontime, Elijah starts to mock them. And this is, this is crazy. He says, cry louder, for, for he's a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So the prophets cried louder, and they cut themselves, and they wailed, and, and hoping to gain the attention of their God. But no one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah prepares his sacrifice. He, he drenches it with water, and then he calls upon the name of the Lord, and boom! The fire of the Lord consumes the offering, even the water and the rocks. There is no one like our God, because our God is near. Our God answers prayers. Even in death, as Psalm 116 says in verse 15, our God is still near. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of of one of his saints. They don't go unnoticed. Now, we use metaphors to describe God's nearness. Uh, we, we talk about him hearing our prayers and, and seeing our suffering uh, as though God has eyes and ears and a, and a physical presence somewhere up in the cosmos with God-like supervision and hearing. Rather, God's word teaches us there is nowhere in the universe where we could go where God's presence doesn't exist. His magnitude fills it all and goes beyond the physical because he cannot be measured or contained. This means in the same moment that I am receiving a life-altering phone call from my doctor and receiving his grace and comfort in that moment, God is also providing grace and comfort to the pastor in Sudan who's imprisoned for preaching the word, while also bringing grace and comfort to one of his saints who's breathing her last breath in the hospital, while, while blessing a house church in India as they sing songs and praise. Our God can do that all at the same time because he is infinitely near. Our God is near because of his immensity, which means his attention and his presence is infinite. 
Think about that for a second. He doesn't grow tired. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't need to be awakened. He doesn't leave on journeys. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't struggle to catch all the details. Sit in that knowledge for just a moment. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, let it soak in. And I challenge you, just for a minute, just for a moment, to put all your cares aside, your anxiety, your stress, the events in the world right now that are causing turmoil within you. I challenge you to put those down for a second and sit under the weight of God's immediate presence with you right now. There is no one like our God. And, and we could stop there. We could stop there and have ample reason to worship this God. But there's more. There's so much more. Not only is our God near, our God saves our second reason to worship this God through this text is our God saves. A God that's near but is powerless to do anything, to act, isn't a God worth worshiping. But the psalmist declares, I called on the name of the Lord, and what did the Lord do? The Lord, who is gracious and merciful and righteous, preserved the life of the writer of this psalm as he faced certain death. Though he suffered distress and anguish, God delivered him, wiped away his tears, and kept him from stumbling. Why? Because our God is the source of our comfort, the source of our strength. He is worthy of worship because he is Lord over illness, over our physical bodies, and provides comfort and strength in our time of need. Even death must submit to the supremacy of our God. Our God heals. It's, it's one of his names, Jehovah Rapha. In Exodus 15, 26, God declares, I am the Lord, your healer, the God who heals. Our God, according to his mercy, according to his grace, heals the sick restores the infirm, preserves those facing certain death for his glory and his plans. Our God heals out of an immense, out of his immense grace and mercy, out of his goodness, out of his kindness, but also for his glory, for his timing and his plans. But you might ask, what about those who cry out for healing and don't receive it? What, what about those who cried out and, and still perished? Now, this might seem kind of callous, and I, and I don't mean it to be, but, but, but hear this. Even Lazarus eventually returned to the grave. Every single person that Jesus healed on earth during his ministry here still went to the grave. It's, it's part of our human condition. It's part of what defines our fallen, broken world. So, so why does our God heal? What is his purpose? 
because he loves to shower us with his grace and mercy, because he loves to display his glory for his creation, before his creation. But mostly it's to provide us with a testimony, which we'll get into a little bit later when we come to the responses. Even in death, our God is gracious and merciful, and our text says so. Check this out. Notice how in verse 4 and 8, the psalmist praises God for delivering his soul. And in verse 7, he exhorts his soul to return to rest. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Our God saves souls. The psalmist, even before God healed him, in the midst of his, of his affliction, believed God had the power to save him, as he declares in verse 10. I was afflicted, yet I believed. When confronted by the nearness of death and the gravity of our sinful fallen state, our, as, we are, as we are brought low with that knowledge, with our, with our human frailty, the natural response, the normal response, needs to be humility. Humili humility and, and utter reliance upon this God who preserves and sustains. Even the very air in my lungs right now is from God. We are utterly reliant upon Him for everything. By His grace, through the cross of Jesus Christ, He offers us salvation for our souls over the curse of death and, and the, the eternal wrath destined to those who reject this offer. What other God can do this? What other God is, is near, has the, has the power to heal our frail physical frames, but also can save our soul? There is no one there is no one like our God. So how do, how do we respond? How do we respond to a God like this? How do we respond to his, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his love, his immensity, his, his holiness and his power? Our psalmist offers three incredible ways. He asks, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? Mind you, he isn't asking, how can I repay God? Because, because that's impossible. You cannot repay an infinite God as though what you offer could somehow equal what he's done. That's not possible. Rather, he's asking, what should be my response? What can I do? How should I respond to this God who is so gracious and kind? And he gives us three responses, and, and they're incredible. Catch this. First, the psalmist answers his own question by saying, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What's he doing? He's asking for more. He's, he's acknowledging that salvation is exclusive to God. So he lifts up his goblet and says, more please. I want more. I want, I want more of your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love. I want more of your, of your nearness, of your healing, of your salvation. This is what God desires of us. 
Not that we could somehow repay him, but that we would find ultimate satisfaction in him and keep coming back for more. God gives and wants us to ask for more. He wants us to take more because he is infinite and he wants to satisfy us bountifully as he, as he showers us with grace and kindness and love and affection and attention. Our first response to a God like this is to ask for more all the time. Our second response is, is humble obedience. The psalmist declares, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not stand, not just be, but walk. As we call upon the Lord, as we call upon the Lord, we are walking where he would direct our steps in obedience. So, uh, Paul urges us in, in Ephesians 4.1 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Rightly knowing who God is will cause us to repent, will cause us to live, act, and respond in the land of the living in a godly manner. As we continue to go to his word, we are being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Not as a means of repaying God, mind you, because that's impossible. But rightly knowing God more and more will have an impact in the, in the way we live. It, it's a transformed heart and mind that desires the things that God desires. That's why it's so important to have an accurate view of our God, of his nearness, of his salvation. If you are struggling to live a holy lifestyle, if that's one of your struggles right now, you might be stuck in the trap of thinking that, that you have to perform a certain way. Rather, we are called to exist in a state of awe and wonder as we meditate on this God, as we meditate on his word, as we think of his immensity, of his nearness, of his salvation. If you don't have that awe, if you're struggling to find that awe, if that wonder and that humility seems gone, then it's time for you to reflect on who our God is, to search his word, to humble yourself, to repent, and to ask for more of him. And lastly, our third response is to testify of his salvation to those around us. This is why our God heals. The psalmist says twice, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. What is this vow? It's the lifestyle of praise that properly reflects the gratitude of, of a saved soul, of a spared life, of, of salvation and healing that can only come from the Lord. We are called to declare his mercies as a means of glorifying our God, but as, a, as our witness, as our testimony to whom we belong, to the glory of our God. There's, there's no room 
for closet Christianity in our text. It's extremely public. That's why we exist. That is why our God has saved us, so that we would be his ambassadors, so that we would testify to the world of his grace, his kindness, his mercy, of his nearness, of his immensity, of his salvation. Not our salvation, his salvation, the salvation that belongs to the Lord. That's why I'm here today. That's why I am bringing this message today, to bear witness to the grace and the kindness and the mercy of our Lord. Because I cried out to our Lord. I cried out to him, Lord, please preserve my sight. And not only did he preserve it, but he restored it. My vision is back to how it was before that I examined February. Not the doctors, not the medicine. Our God healed me. Our God alone is the God of healing. Our God alone is the, is the God of salvation. And he is near. He is with you right now, even, even in the worst situation possible. And, and my heart breaks to imagine what some of you are going through right now. But even in that, our God is near, and our God saves. That's, that's what this text is showing us. And, and, that's, and that's what I hope you will find comfort in today. And I'm confident many of you have a story to tell like mine. So, so I'm asking you, I'm asking you, will, will you join me? Will you raise up the cup of salvation and say, more please. Will you call upon the Lord all the days of your life and, and walk in, in humility and perseverance, knowing that our God is the one that provides comfort and strength? Will you testify to his salvation everywhere you go? There is no one like our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your greatness. Father, we pray that in this moment that you would provide comfort where it is needed, that you would provide conviction on hearts and minds that have wandered away from you or, or might not know you at all, that we would reflect on your salvation, that we would experience your nearness, that we would humble ourselves and, and offer praises of your greatness everywhere we go, that we would be a testimony to our sinful, fallen, dark world of your salvation, of your nearness, of your greatness. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that can only come from you. And we ask you to take this word and may it spread all over our world. May we be obedient to taking this good news, our testimony to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name.